Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Our topic today is the rights of people living in skilled nursing and assisted living facilities in Central New York. My guest is Rebecca Alder. She's the Regional Long-Term Care Ombudsman Manager at Arise Child and Family Services. Welcome back to The Informed Patient, Ms. Alder. Thank you for having me. Can you describe what a long-term care ombudsman is and what they do? Yes. So a long-term care ombudsman is an advocate, first and foremost. What long-term care ombudsmen do is help people that live in residential facilities, such as skilled nursing and assisted living, We help them work through any issues or grievances they have with their care. So what types of facilities? You said long-term care and assisted living. What is the difference between those? And then what geographic area do you cover? Well, the difference between long-term care and assisted living is that basically assisted living supports residents in a community setting with their activities of daily living. So, for example, assisting with the resident in getting dressed or maybe preparing their meals. Whereas skilled nursing, that's a higher level of care. It's actually considered custodial care, and it's in a more complex medical environment to meet those needs. So it's not independent living? No, it is not. That's another whole category that the ombudsman program does not cover. And then the geographic area, are you throughout central New York or just Onondaga County? We are Region 10, and we cover Onondaga, Cayuga, Cortland, and Oswego counties. That's about 7,000 residents within both the skilled and the assisted living facilities. New York State famously has a lot of regulations. Are ombudsmen expected to be familiar with the regulations for nursing homes and assisted living facilities? Well, yes and no. We're not required to know every single federal or state regulation. However, there are many regulations that relate to quality of care. So we train our ombudsman staff to learn the regulations that relate to how many showers a resident gets a week or how many snacks they should be served, how many activities, things like that. We may focus sometimes if a resident complains about the temperature of their room, I can certainly look and see what that regulation is. We don't necessarily need to know the specifics, just enough to know when resident rights are potentially being violated. So a practical familiarity with those things, it sounds like it's important. Now, what are the rights of residents if they're living in skilled nursing or assisted living? What do you hear about most often having problems with? Well, I feel like a lot of times we get the complaint that residents feel that they do not have the right to voice a concern or air a grievance without fear of retaliation. So that is absolutely a basic right that everyone in that residential facility has. Another right is the right to a safe discharge. A facility cannot send a resident to a homeless shelter just because the bill has not been paid. Let's see here. Another right would be the right to participate in your own care, your own care planning, so that the facility is not putting out care plans that don't involve your thoughts and your goals. So do the rights deal with the quality of care, uh, making sure that you have a comfortable living environment, that you don't feel discriminated against? Is it covered as well? Yes, absolutely. And of course, you know, the right to be free from abuse, whether that be verbal, mental, financial, physical, 
So a person who's living in one of these facilities, would they have a say about whether they're going to be transferred to another one or if they're going to be discharged? Absolutely. Yes. A resident should be aware of what their discharge plan is. And if they don't agree with it, they can certainly appeal and hope for a different outcome. Do they have a right to privacy? Because I know some of these facilities, it's not a private room necessarily. So does a resident have a right to privacy? They have a right to privacy within the realm of, yes, having to have a roommate. Basically, what staff really should be doing, what I instruct my staff and my volunteers to do is when you enter a room, knock on the door. You know, Mrs. Smith, it's Rebecca from the Ombudsman Program. May I please enter? You know, showing that respect. When you're in the room, making sure that curtain is closed so that your roommate could not see you getting bathed or washed. So it's difficult, but yes, that still is a right, right to privacy. It just looks a little differently when you have a roommate. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking with Rebecca Alder from Arise Child and Family Services. She's the Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program Regional Manager, and we're talking about the rights of people who live in nursing homes and assisted living facilities. So are the rights the same for assisted living versus nursing homes? Yes, they are. And do residents of these facilities have the right to come and go? That's a great question. It really depends on the facility. For assisted living facilities, yes. Many residents at assisted living facilities have a car, so they're able to leave the property when they want. Now, with skilled nursing, it's a little bit different. Because of Medicaid guidelines, they cannot leave the facility for more than 24 hours. If they have another funding source, say private pay, they can certainly do that. However, family members would have to sign them out. The facility does have responsibility knowing where their residents are at all times. Do residents have to have access to a library or to newspapers or television, or are those things only available if they can pay for them? Again, it depends on the facility. Some facilities do offer free cable TV, free phones. Many do not. In the regulations, when it comes to activities, it's written as giving quality activities for the residents. It doesn't specify television, books, anything like that. So it's kind of a read between lines for activity directors. Again, many facilities do offer television, cable, phones, but residents would have to pay for that. Now, medical care is part of nursing home care, right? That's covered all together? But now what about dental care or vision care? I'm thinking about people who are immobile in a nursing home and couldn't really take themselves to those appointments. How do they receive that type of care? Well, Medicaid does cover both vision and dental, and there are providers that go into the facility and see residents on a regular basis. They bring the equipment to the facility. I just want to point out, Amber, because this is important. The resident does have a right to their own physician, their own provider. However, they may be responsible for paying for that. I see. Now, you touched on this a little earlier, but what does happen to someone who runs out of money and can't pay for the nursing home that they're in, but they're not able to live on their own? What happens to that person? Typically, when a resident cannot pay for their care, in order to qualify for Medicaid, they must spend down their assets. But certainly, they may need care in the interim. So how it works is that a resident will be in a facility and have a spend down, a NAMI. And what that is, is an amount paid to Medicaid every month 
and that allows them to go through their assets, but they're still receiving those medical services at the same time. They don't have to necessarily deplete all their assets before going into a facility. So it really is good for people that need that care, but maybe they have too many assets to qualify, but not enough to pay for $14,000 a year privately. You said NAMI. What does that mean? NAMI stands for Net Available Monthly Income. Now, some people are unhappy about their situation being in a nursing home because they're not able to live on their own, and others are cognitively impaired and may not fully understand where they are. How do you advocate for these people? Well, we many times go into assisted livings that cater to people with memory impairment or we're in nursing homes where there's a dementia wing. Typically, what we do is if the residents cannot really articulate to us what's upsetting them, we use our senses. As ombudsmen, we observe, is the resident clean? Are their breakfast trays picked up? Is there an odor in the facility? Is the resident dressed? Are they sitting up? Sometimes, sadly, I'll get calls on Monday mornings from people in facilities saying, I was left in bed all weekend because there just simply wasn't enough staff. So we use our senses, observation, to assist people that really cannot necessarily speak up and tell us what they do not like about their care. How does a resident of a nursing home or assisted living facility reach an ombudsman? We try to create a regular presence in all facilities, particularly the nursing homes, just because we do see more complaints. But we are in assisted livings on a quarterly basis. We do have our posters up in every single facility. It is required to have our posters up with our hotline number. That's my direct line. And again, just going in there for those weekly visits and getting to know the residents and having them trust us and to say, okay, well, here's an ombudsman. She doesn't work for the facility. I can open up to her. Sometimes that takes a while. So that's why we want to establish that regular presence in their facility. In recent years, especially with COVID, nursing homes, like many other industries, have lost a lot of workers. Are you seeing more of a need for ombudsmen tied to staff shortages? Not necessarily a need for more ombudsmen, but the number of complaints have increased. Absolutely. And a lot of issues go back to short staffing. So if a resident is saying that they haven't received a shower in three weeks, when you start to investigate and go back to the origin, it's typically because of short staffing levels. So yes, we have received many calls due to that. Thankfully, our program has gotten some recognition during the pandemic for the assistance we we're able to offer residents. And thankfully, we do have some increased funding. So we were able to hire more staff to serve the residents of Region 10. Well, before we wrap up, tell us how people can become volunteer ombudsmen if they're interested. Are you recruiting for more volunteers? I'm always recruiting for volunteers. Ideally, I would love to have a volunteer in every single facility we cover, which is about 62 different facilities. They can call me. The number here at Arise is area code 315 671-5108. And you can go to our website, Arise Child and Family Services, and look for the Ombudsman Program for our information. And what type of person are you looking for and how much time should they allot to devote to this if they're interested? Well, we're looking for anyone that is able to give a minimum time commitment of two to four hours a week. That's so that they can go into the facility on a regular basis and get to know the residents. So it's basically the two to four hours a week 
and monthly in-service meetings to earn continuing education credits so that they can retain their ombudsman certification. That's 18 credits a year. So once you go through the training and you are established for the facility, really the time commitment is only two to four hours a week and then that monthly two-hour meeting. Well, Ms. Alder, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. My guest has been Rebecca Alder. She's the Long-Term Care Regional Ombudsman Manager at Arise Child and Family Services. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine, brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu slash informed. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend to listen too. And you can rate and review the Informed Patient podcast on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you're tuning in. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.